Amen. If you have a copy of the Word of God, if you have your Bible with you, will you turn with me please to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and uh, we're going to read some verses from the sixth chapter. Genesis chapter 6, commencing to read at the first verse. Genesis 6, verse 1 says, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also was flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the earth, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to this reading from his own precious and inspired and infallible word. Let's have Amen. Let's turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read just a short time ago. And you'll find our text for today in the third verse of Genesis chapter 6. And the words of our text are these. And the Lord said... My spirit shall not always strive with man. My spirit shall not always strive with man. In my preaching about recently, it has been impressed upon me 
that there's a need to get back to basics. Back to the simple, straightforward preaching of the gospel of grace. You'll agree with me, I'm sure, that the world is a different place today than what it was ten years ago. Indeed, a very different place from what it was in the early days of our own witness in the Free Presbyterian Church. And I feel that what we need is getting back to those basics. Getting out the gospel of God's saving grace. And I want to deal with some of those basics today in your church. I'll be dealing with them tonight as well. Now, it used to be they had old wells with water pumps. and Sometimes you went to pump and nothing came out and you had to prime the pump, pour water into it to, to get the water out of it. And I trust that that will be our case today in relation to our study this morning and our study this evening. It's not possible for me to go into a lot of detail and make it just an academic exercise. I've only got about half an hour or so, if it is that long, to speak to you. I want to plant something in your heart and in your mind with regard to the issues that I'll bring before you today. And what we're going to look at briefly, and it is briefly, this morning is the ministry and the work of God, the Holy Spirit. Right at the beginning of Revelation, and I'm talking about the Bible as God's revelation to us, Mention is made very, very clearly of the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You have our text here in Genesis 6 and 3, which we'll build upon uh, just now. The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Now let's consider three very simple and basic matters in relation to these words. And the first thing I would have you to notice is the existence of the Holy Spirit. He exists as a very real person. Just as much as the Lord Jesus Christ does and as God the Father does. 
We believe in the Free Presbyterian Church, in the triune God. Three persons and one indivisible Godhead. I don't ask me to explain all that, but we believe it because the Word of God sets it forth plainly. Now, we are known as the Free Presbyterian Church, but you will know you have the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, and you have also the non-subscribing church. And the non-subscribing church simply means that they don't subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith. You see, when we have elders and certainly ministers at their ordination, let's put before them, do you believe in the Westminster Confession of Faith and accept and acknowledge it as your own personal faith? And our ministers subscribe to that. They sign the book. They publicly witness and acknowledge it to be a confession of their own faith. But they will not do that in the non-subscribing Presbyterian Church. That's what it means. They don't subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith. And a very important matter in relation to that church is that they do not accept the deity, the godhood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's important. They will not accept that God is Trinity in unity. And so therefore they will not accept the separate personality within the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I remember in Limavati we had uh, some students, they're well-established ministers now, But we had them up for outreach, and one student in particular went to uh, a part of Lima Valley, nice road, lovely road, all private houses, and and, uh, there's a very highly placed clergyman, I'd call him that, that lived along that road. And the student went to his door, of course, this man is very capable, even in his student days. But he got to talking to him. And he said, of course, you'll know that the Holy Spirit isn't mentioned in the Old Testament. And Tom found it. The brother looked at him and pointed him to the very first page of God's Word book of Genesis, the chapter 1, and the verse 2 tells us that darkness was upon the face of the deep, 
and the Spirit of God moved. There it is. Right at the beginning, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Isn't it astounding that they know so much about running churches and they know nothing, comparatively speaking, about the Word of God? I can remember when I was a student and uh, we, we did a, a, I don't know whether you call, you'd call it a great book or not, but uh, <clears throat> it was Scottish theology. It was the history of theology uh, in tandem with the history of the church in Scotland. And, and uh, there were people in the churches in Scotland that were called the managers. The managers. They knew all, or thought they knew all, about church government. They knew how to set up offices and run the offices and so on within the church. But they weren't spiritual men. They knew nothing of the truth of God's word, comparatively speaking. And that's the way it is today. There's many people run churches, but they run them just as a business. They're managers in that sense. And they know so little about the vital truths of God's word. Well, it's important. It's vitally important. And unless you believe and acknowledge what the word of God says about the Holy Spirit about the Lord Jesus Christ and about God the Father. You can't be saved. There's no way on earth that you can be saved. I'm hoping to point that out to you this morning and also this evening. So you have the the, the existence. God talks about my spirit. And as I've already pointed out to you in the opening chapter of this book, we read about the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters. It's a very elemental thing, but there you have it. The existence as a separate person, separate personality within the Godhead of the Holy Spirit. It's important. We acknowledge that. It's important. We believe that. It's important that we act on that. But notice not only the existence of God's Spirit, God talks about His Spirit, but notice the, 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 the exercise of the Spirit of God. In our text, the Lord says, My Spirit shall not always strive with man. Notice those words, strive with man. What does that mean? How are we to understand these words about the Holy Spirit? He's striving with man. 
Now look at the context uh, and look at what it says in the opening verses of this chapter that men began to multiply uh, upon the face of the earth. Uh, and the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, verse 2, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Uh, and then it also says, and this is the same context, there's nothing wrong with people multiplying, there's nothing wrong with people marrying. But it says in verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. So there was a, a, a superabundance of iniquity. There was a superabundance of sinfulness in those days. Now, there were people saved, very few, but there were people saved. God had his, his remnant. We read that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it wasn't just Noah, but, but you know, there were people before him were saved. We think of Enoch as a man who walked with God. We think of Mephibosheth was a man who walked with God. There were people saved. They were a small remnant. That's what a remnant is, not a large crowd of people, but they were there nonetheless. And God, the Holy Spirit, is said to strive with man. Now, what does that mean? What does that refer to? Well, if you look at the same portion, it says, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the, th of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, 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 there's a text that tells us that man left to himself is only evil. Only evil. This is a proof text for what we would call total depravity. Because man left to his own devices will not do good in, in the proper sense of the word. He will only do evil continually. You, you read that in the New Testament. This is not just Old Testament text. The, the, the Bible teaches the same in both Testaments, but in the book of Romans, we read that Paul says, There is none that seeketh after God. No, not one. Now you might ask yourself, well, what, what, what does that mean? But I know people that are seeking the Lord. I know people who love the Lord. Well, what does Paul mean when he says, There is none that seeketh after God, there is none that doeth good? No. Not one. Romans 3, you'll get that. What does he mean by that? He simply means, as we see here, that man left to himself will not seek after the Lord. Listen, you find that in the opening chapters of the Bible. You'll recall, perhaps, in Genesis 3, when Adam sinned against the Lord... 
and they realized, Adam and Eve realized, they'd done wrong. They ran and hid themselves amidst the trees of the garden. When they heard the Lord coming, when they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden, they ran away from God. You would have thought that when the Bible says their eyes were opened, they would realize we have sinned against God. We need to seek him. We need to search him out. We need to get the sort of not a bit of it. They ran away from the Lord. It was the Lord in his grace that came seeking them. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? It wasn't Adam calling on to God, Where are you, God? Many people say that today when things happen to them. Where's God? Well, Adam didn't say that. But God in his wonderful grace came searching out the man who had sinned against him. And folks, those words on our text about the Spirit striving with man, it refers to the same operation. Man will not seek the Lord left to himself, but God the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of men, bringing them to the Lord. We have sung about that this morning in our, in our opening hymn. Uh, and that's the work, that's the exercise, that's the operation of God the Holy Spirit. You've only got to look again in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that tells us what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of a man which is in him even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God you know that text and you've quoted it often you've really quoted this often especially when you're thinking of loved ones who've gone to be with the Lord you've quoted this and I'm sure you have I hath not seen nor ear heard, nor hath it entered into the heart of any man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. And you think of heaven when you think of that. And it's true to think of that in that way. And it's good to think of that text in that way. But you know what that text is telling us? It's telling you exactly what I'm saying to you this morning. That man, left to himself, left to his own ingenuity, will not seek after the Lord. That's why it says, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things of God have prepared for them that love him. And it goes on to say, but God hath revealed them unto us. By his Spirit. Read it for yourself. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And it is the work, it's the ministry, it's the office of the Holy Spirit to make known 
the things of God unto men and women. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said, referring to the Holy Spirit, when he has come. Now that doesn't mean he wasn't already in the world. That doesn't mean that at all. We've pointed out to you his existence in Old Testament times. Indeed, his existence is from all eternity. But the Lord Jesus Christ is referring to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which there would be on the day of Pentecost. When he has come, he will convict or reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It is the work, it's the ministry, it's the office of the Holy Ghost to make sin more sinful in our hearts. To make us see our need because of that sin before a holy God. That's his work. That's his ministry. That's his exercise. And of course, the preacher will always want the Holy Spirit to take up the words and use them in that regard. Let me give you another quick reference, Ezekiel chapter 37. You've read it before. I'm sure you're familiar with it. I hope you are. It's about the valley of the dry bones. And the prophet was brought to this valley, and before him there was a a great valley of bones scattered all over the place. And the question comes to the prophet, Son of man, can these bones live? Now that's sort of a question. If you were standing, surveying a valley, bones everywhere, it was a scene of utter devastation. It was the scene of a previous military defeat in Israel. Can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, O Lord God, thou knowest. He was told to preach to the bones preach to the valley of bones. Isn't that a commission? A great commission. Go and preach to that valley full of dry bones. Something happened. God began to work. God began to move. There was a stirring and bone joined to his bone. And so those scattered bones became a valley of skeletons and then ultimately a valley of corpses but there was no life in them and and that's a picture of what men are without the Lord Jesus Christ they have no other physical life but there's no breath there's no life in them and what was the prophet asked to do prophesy unto the wind And in the Bible, the wind is an emblem of the Holy Spirit. And as he prophesied unto the wind, there was a great stirring. And the Bible tells us there stood up an exceeding great army. Breath had to be breathed into those corpses. And that's the ministry, that's the work, 
that, that, that's the office of the Holy Spirit to breathe life into dead souls to make them alive you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins very simple pictures folks we have not only the existence of the Holy Ghost we have the exercise of the Holy Spirit but then lastly and briefly we have the exhausting of the Holy Spirit notice what it says in our text my spirit shall not always strive with man I don't misunderstand me here because very often the Bible attributes human actions to God they're what we call here's a big word for you anthropomorphisms in other words ascribing to God something that is attributable to man God sees, the Bible tells us, but he doesn't devise like you and I have. God hears, but he doesn't have ears like you and I have. But the Bible uses things like that in order to teach us something of the Lord. He's the old seeing. He's the all-knowing God, and in and of himself, he is unchangeable. And folks, this is the astounding thing. That such a one came into this world to live and labor amongst men. And to die on the cross. No wonder the hymn writer says, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. Who can explore this strange design? Even the angels can't, if a term we use, can't get their heads around it. There's a great text in the book of Acts, and it says this, and Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And he says to the people, you killed the prince of life. Now that word prince means author. You killed the author of life. The one who has life in himself not dependent on anyone else or anything else. He is the eternally existent I am. They killed him. That's an amazing statement. They took away the life of him who is the author of life. That's, that's the amazing thing about the incarnation. Oh, let's not think of it in too common a fashion. It's an astounding matter that the Son of God became man and dwelt among us and submitted himself to all of God's law. You know Christ lived for you a 
as well as died for you. Upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die, another's life, another's death, I rest my all eternally. Eternally. Now here, it talks about God being grieved, it grieved, it repented, the Lord, that he had made man, and it grieved him at his heart. And that's using language to show us that the great God, the Almighty, was displeased. And our text talks about my spirit shall not always strive with man. And the New Testament talks about grieve not the Holy Spirit. And while essentially the, 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 the being of God cannot be changed, yet there is a very real sense in which God withdraws himself. The Holy Spirit can withdraw himself from men. He'll not always strive with man. I remember years ago I was working in the Isle of Man at the time. I listened to a broadcast. Uh, Dr. Paisley used to broadcast on Manx Radio every week and he had a, a great message uh, and uh, died Abner as a full diet. That was his text. But I remember him telling us about a lady in his congregation. He knew her. And every time when he had preached the gospel and he made his appeal, she was bothered, she was troubled. And he could see that, even in the great congregations that he had. <coughs> and when she went out, she shook his hand quickly and went on out. He knew something was happening to that lady. He knew the Lord was working in her heart. Or as we put it here, the Spirit was striving with her. And this particular night, she was really, really, really moved. And she went out of the gospel meeting. She was fighting against being saved. She went quickly past Dr. Paisley, went home, couldn't sleep that night. She tossed and turned and turned and tossed and in the early hours of the morning she got out of her bed and kneeled beside her bed and prayed for the Lord to not to leave her alone, to take his Holy Spirit away from her. That's a terrible prayer. The next time Dr. Paisley saw her in the church, she was a different woman. He thought, now, something has happened. Maybe she's got saved. She's not acting the same as she would normally act. She doesn't seem to be as bothered as she normally was. But the truth of the matter is that the Holy Spirit, as far as Dr. Paisley could ascertain, the Holy Spirit had stopped striving with her. He never saw her again after that last Sunday. Never came back to church. The Spirit of God seemingly, seemingly 
We're not infallible judges in these things, but seemingly the Spirit of God had stopped striving with her. Here's a word for you if you're not saved today. O sinner, God's Spirit is striving with thee. What if he should strive nevermore and leave thee alone in thy sin to dwell? sight of the heavenly shore. O oh, turn while the Saviour in mercy is pleading and steer for the harbour light for how do you know, how do you know but your soul may be drifting over the deadline tonight is the Spirit of God striving with you is he working in your heart? Oh, you maybe don't acknowledge him as such. You don't maybe recognize it as such, but nonetheless, he's working. He shows you Christ. That's his office. He doesn't speak of himself, but he takes the things of Christ and makes them known to those who need him. Maybe we should sing, Sister, at another hymn, but maybe we should sing a couple of verses, at least one, of that opening hymn. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word, and creating faith in Him. That's the truth. Oh, let's pray for an outpouring of God, the Holy Spirit. We'll stand as we sing just this.